this this morning. Hey, Chapel family. How are you guys doing this morning? Are we alive? We're, we're making it. We're making the best of it. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. It is a crazy time, and, uh, but we are grateful uh, for every single one of you that said, you know what, regardless of what we think, what we feel, masks, no masks, um, it's not going to stop us from gathering to love Jesus and to lean into the truth of his word. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. And uh, this is not even for us. This is for him. And uh, we're here to honor him together. So thanks for, for, for joining us. I've been looking forward to the kicking off this brand new message series that we'll talk about in a few moments uh, with all of you guys. But I want to begin by asking you a question, and that is, what is it that you think of when you hear the word blessed? When you hear the word blessed, uh, many of us would attribute that word with our current circumstances, or well, maybe not, <laughs> but, but, but it, we would attribute it to things in our life that we're grateful for, right? So like when somebody says, oh, you got awesome kids, you know, as a parent, you're like, oh, we've we're just been blessed, right? Or in the midst of, you know, people losing jobs because of all of this, for those of us that have kept a job or have a, a good job, you know, we say, man, I'm just so grateful for my job. We are definitely blessed, right? Or, or man, we got, we got to get away for a, for a little bit of vacation time. Oh, we were so blessed. Or, oh, we got a new car. Maybe it wasn't a brand new car, but it was a new car to us. And, man, we're just blessed, Right? And we would be right to use that word in that way, but the challenge becomes when we get something taken away from us. Or things, you know, our our current life circumstances or situations aren't what we thought they would be, and we don't necessarily feel blessed anymore. But what what if being blessed is bigger than just things that we're grateful for or life circumstances? And I think that's what Jesus uh, gets at. If we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, and it's really where we're going to be over the next several weeks. And in this passage of Scripture, known as the Beatitudes, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to redefine what the blessed life really means. And I think what Jesus is leading us towards is the fact that Being blessed is more of a position. It's more about who we are than what we have. In fact, if we were to put it into one sentence, we might say it this way, that being blessed is not based on what we have. Rather, it's who we are because of whose we are. For those of us here this weekend that have turned our life over to Jesus, and we've asked him to be the Savior and leader of our life, we are blessed. Regardless of any other circumstance, God calls us blessed, and our lives, as we are blessed by him because of who, whose we are, is meant to be a blessing to other people. And that's what Jesus is going to flesh out. This is a series that we're kicking off this weekend. We're calling it the good life. Just another word for the blessed life. And Jesus is going to redefine 
the pathway to the good life and what the good life really means as we live out the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, uh, that word Beatitude is just a transliteration of a, a Greek word, and, and it, it doesn't quite do it justice, but the closest that we can come to whenever Jesus said, God blesses those, is this word blessed. But what does it mean to be blessed? I want us to look at the very first one that Jesus begins with, and it really sets the stage for all of the other Beatitudes. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So he begins, he says, God blesses, or blessed are the what? The poor, he says. That seems like a bit of an oxymoron. In fact, all of the Beatitudes seem like oxymorons, you know, things that just don't seem like they should fit together. They don't quite make sense. When we think of the word poor, we certainly don't think of the word blessed, right? And the, actually, the New Living Translation does a good job here uh, of, of giving us the fuller meaning because this is what it really means. It's poor in spirit. So what Jesus is talking about is not necessarily a person's financial condition, but their spiritual condition. And he says, God blesses those that are poor in spirit. So the question is, what does that even mean? And what does that look like? And I think there's a story that Jesus told that helps us get a fuller picture of what both spiritual poverty or spiritual poorness looks like and also what spiritual pride looks like. When we say blessed are the poor, nobody's trying to be poor. In our, in our culture, we want to be rich, right? Or, or we want to be successful. Or we want to have it all together. We can't, we, we can't fathom attaching the word poor and certainly not to our spiritual life. Like, we want to come here presentable, right? And, I mean, giving our best to God and looking our best and being successful spiritually. You know, prayer warriors and Bible studiers. And, and we want to be wealthy spiritually, I guess you could say. Well, Jesus is going to tell the story, and he gives us pictures of what spiritual pride and what spiritual poverty really looks like. And what we're going to find is that it's actually those that are spiritually poor that are blessed. Look at the story with me. Jesus says two men went to a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Now, you could not get more extreme than these two characters. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute, and we'll see how the differences between these two flesh out in their prayers. Because remember it says, these two men, they went to the temple. It was a common place to gather, to pray. There's something, you can pray anywhere you are, but sometimes there's just something about, sometimes we'll have people drive by the chapel and they'll stop it and they'll just say, can I just come in and pray? They just, there's something about being in a place where you think about God's presence more and and so they come in and they go to pray. And look at the first prayer. The first prayer is the Pharisee. It says the Pharisee, he stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. And here's what he prayed. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. 
Wow. And, and he goes on, if you were to read the passage, to describe the other people that he's thankful to God that he's not like them. He said, I th- I'm thank you, God, that I'm not like the, the robbers and the thieves and the adulterers. And in fact, in his prayer, he even says, and God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, we just come to church today at the chapel, and like, I get up here, oh, Lord, I, I'm just... I'm so grateful that I'm not like Charles. I'm so much better. I mean, he, his shoes I can't compete with, but, you know, I... <laughs> and this is a picture. Jesus is giving a picture of spiritual pride here. And when the, when the Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like other people, that was very true. Pharisees were, I mean, the religious elite of the day. They were well-educated. They had most of the Old Testament memorized. They prayed eloquent prayers. They wore fancy clothes. And most people, most people admired the Pharisees. And if, if they were trying to be like anybody when it came to their spiritual life, they were trying to be like the Pharisees because they thought, these are the guys that have it together. I mean, spiritually poor. No, these guys are spiritually successful. These guys are spiritually rich. Everybody wanted to be like the Pharisees, except for the most important person, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus uh, he's about to just drop the mic on, on, on the, the, in this story. Because he then shifts from talking about this Pharisee who's praying, God, thank you that I'm not like all these other people, to the tax collector. Now, tax collectors were despised people. And you know what? Many times tax collectors were financially really doing pretty well. In fact, some of them were rich. And do you know why they were rich? Because they were taking advantage of the people. And when they would go around to collect taxes... You know, if, if it was a 10% tax, well, then they'd say, yeah, t- uh, your payment today is due, and it's 20% according to the government. And uh, then they'd line their pockets with that extra, whatever it was. And everybody knew it. And people looked down on tax collectors. And so Jesus tells this story, and he talks about two people. One that people looked up to, and then the other that look, people looked down upon. And both of these guys show up to pray at the temple at the same time. And Jesus says, now the tax collector, he stands up to pray. And look at it. It says, and he stood at a distance. And he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a different kind of prayer. What a completely different attitude and approach before God and others. I love what J.D. Greer says. He says, the word poor, when we talk about being poor in spirit, is used for a person's posture. For the word literally means to be hunched over. It's a picture of someone leaning over with 
pleading eyes where everything about them says, I am completely desperate. That was the tax collector. He was desperate for God. So much so he could, he, he was hunched over, pleading, not even looking up. Please, God, just have mercy on me, a sinner. D.A. Carson, a well-known theologian, says that poverty of spirit is a personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. He says it's a conscious confession of unworth before God. So let's put it back into some financial terms that we might understand. Bankruptcy, like that's a bad place to be. And, and this, this tax collector, if he were to look at his bank account, he said, I got nothing. Now, the, the, the Pharisee, on the other hand, um, he thought his spiritual bank account was pretty good. Like, he had made a lot of deposits over the years. Like, hey, man, he prayed, and I mean, he prayed long, and I mean, with a lot of words, and it was impressive, and that was a deposit. And, oh, he gave some money to the poor, and man, oh, did everybody see that? Okay, that was a, a, a deposit, and man, certainly God has noticed this. And, uh, you know, he, I mean, he memorized the Bible verse after verse and could quote it, and he would speak on behalf of God, and man, another deposit. And he was, man, he was spiritually successful. At least that's what people thought. But not Jesus. And Jesus looks at the at the the tax collector who recognizes he's got nothing in his spiritual bank account. He has nothing to offer God. In fact, it's not just at a zero, it is an incredible deficit. A huge debt that he owes because of his own sin. And he just says, God, all I can do is say, please have mercy on me. Jesus says these, this is the kind of attitude that leads to the blessed life. It's the first step towards the good life is realizing we have nothing to offer God and we are absolutely desperate for him. So how is a person then blessed? Because Jesus, Jesus said God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven, he said, is theirs. He says, in, in fact, in, in the story that Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee, afterwards, Jesus posed this question. He said, and who do you think went home justified, made right before God? And it wasn't the spiritual Pharisee. It was the one that knew he was spiritually poor and broke and bankrupt. That's who God showed forgiveness and justified. And those are the people that Jesus says inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know how to get to heaven, it's to recognize that we're not good enough to get there on our own. That Jesus has to make a deposit on our behalf. And it's important to recognize that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not only talking about a future place that we will go after we die if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior and turned our life over to him. 
For Jesus, in fact, the whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is what it looks like to live as citizens of God's kingdom while we are yet here on this earth. N.T. Wright says, Heaven is God's space where full reality exists, but close by our ordinary earthly reality and interlocking with it. You see, heaven is wherever God, the king of heaven, is having his way, his rule, his authority. And so when we follow God's way, even while we're living down here on earth, we are representatives of that kingdom and we're bringing God's kingdom of heaven to bear on earth. That's why Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven. And we are part of that. The people that recognize our spiritual poverty before him. We can have the hope of heaven. And Jesus is calling us to live as these citizens of this new kingdom. As the poor in spirit. And when we do, he says, we'll be blessed and our lives will then be a blessing. That's why later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, come, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you poor in spirit. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, Jesus said, let your good deeds shine. Shine out for all to see so that... It won't make you look good so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So that the, the attitude and the actions of our lives as changed people, poor in spirit, becoming blessed, might be a blessing and point to Jesus as Savior. That God would get the credit for our life and our good deeds, whatever they might be. And that's why as we go through this series, The Good Life, every week we want to issue a challenge. And we're calling it the Be the Light Initiative. Be the light. Just be the light. And so the, the, the first step in this uh, for all of us to consider, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but it's an opportunity. It's to do something physically to represent that light at your home. That's why we had a few Christmas lights on one of the trees as you came in today. I don't know if you noticed them. Drive by tonight and you'll see them. But, but, but maybe it's just uh, lighting something up at your house, g getting up in the attic and grabbing some of those lights or, or, or putting a lantern out on your front porch or doing some tea lights in, a, in some milk jugs as a physical way to say, I want to be the light of Jesus, of Christ, to my neighborhood, to my community, to my friends, to my co-workers. And, and then if, if you snap a picture, post it, and use the hashtag, be the light, or, or send us an email with a picture of that or a story of something that you're doing to be the light in your workplace or in your family. And the cool thing is if you do that, we're going to make a donation in your honor to help keep somebody's lights on that's struggling during this time. But here's the real heartbeat behind it. It's not just about a physical, tangible set of Christmas lights or a lamp. or a... It's meant to lead to action. 
And every single week, we're going to give you a Be the Light challenge. And this week's challenge is this, to just text a genuine compliment to three people. And do it right now. Or do it as soon as you walk out of this place while you're still in your car. Or do it as soon as you sit down to eat lunch. You guys, we're living in a day where people are just tearing people apart with their words. Even Christians. And it is horrible. And if the world ever needed to see a light, it's right now. And when we take a step to to do a good deed, to show kindness, to reach out to someone, maybe it's somebody that has been forgotten. Maybe it's somebody that you know has been struggling. Maybe it's somebody that you know never gets much credit. Maybe it's a, f- a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. I don't know. But just reach out and just say, I just needed to tell you. And encourage them. Give them a compliment in a day when it, there's not very many of those going around. In this way, you guys, will be the lights. When we when we stop praying, also well, thank thank goodness I'm not like that guy on Facebook, or I'm not like I don't post some of the stuff like she posts on. We'd stop praying. Oh, thank you that I'm not like. But that we would beat our chests and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God's calling us to bring heaven to touch the earth through our attitudes and actions. So let's be the light this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Forgive us for the times that we've puffed ourselves up. For the times that we thought we were doing pretty good or that we had something to prove to you. And help us to cry out with the tax collector to realize that truly blessed are we when we recognize how poor we really are. Jesus, would you help us this week to represent you well and to be the light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here, you guys, this weekend. Our team will come and they'll discuss.